everybody. Welcome to church this morning. I'm excited because we get to start a new series today. Uh, but before we do that, I just wanted to give a quick apology for last week for those that were on Facebook Live. Uh, there were some technical difficulties and the the, the stream got shut down uh, kind of five or ten minutes into, uh, into Tim's sermon, which was so unfortunate because it was so great. I really hope you check that out on YouTube or the podcast uh, afterwards. But I really do apologize for that. Um, as far as we can tell, what happened is that... Uh, <laughs> Uh, we kind of got pranked, <laughs> and we're not exactly sure how this works, but apparently you can go to live stream videos and and uh, flag them as having content that you own, and uh, that's just not true. All the content that we have on these streams is either you know generated here in the garage or the music that you hear we purchase, and then some of the footage that we use for that little, you know little nifty intro you saw is all from royalty free places, and so we're not exactly sure why these things get flagged, but if two different entities flag the same video, the stream gets turned off. And so maybe we've been pranked, maybe we've been trolled, we're not sure. I hope it doesn't happen again. Uh, but if it does, um, we're looking into it. But if it does, uh, the YouTube is already uploaded. You can go watch it over there. In fact, I think it's live streamed at the exact same time. So for those of you that maybe uh, would prefer YouTube, you can go over there. And of course, there's always the podcast. So sorry about that. Uh, I hope it doesn't happen right now. <laughs> here's here's hoping. So, uh, we're starting a new series, and this is going to be great. We're, we're, we're going to just be going over the next six weeks through just two chapters of Romans. Now, what these chapters center around, uh, a term you could use would just be Christian living. Uh, normal, everyday Christian living. It's, uh, it's, almost, it's almost as though Paul takes a minute to explain the basics of what a life devoted to Jesus would look like practically what the motivations are inside of our hearts, what the implications of those things are in everyday life. And so we titled the series, This is Normal, because sometimes, I know I do this, I, I look at the Christian life and I say, wow, what an exceptional, difficult to attain, uh, almost otherworldly uh, <laughs> place I hope to get to. But Paul would say, no, that if the Spirit lives inside of you, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, there's a whole bunch of stuff that might seem crazy to the world, but it's actually quite normal. In fact, if we're citizens of the kingdom of God, which arguably is the real kingdom <laughs> that rules this world, um, it's actually more normal to live uh, in submission to Christ. It's actually more normal to live as if the Spirit was um, inhabiting you and motivating you to have the same mind of Christ. And so... Uh, I would encourage you over the next six weeks to um, wrestle perhaps with what you think normal is. And if there's aspects of, of following Jesus that seem extreme, perhaps we can, we, can, uh, we can spend some time over the next few weeks looking at how um, perhaps it's the most logical and normal and, and um, peace-inducing thing to do. So that's the hope. And Paul does a great job uh, guiding us through this. So the, this is week one. And we're just going to be looking at two verses, the intro of chapter 12. And uh, I've entitled the sermon, Living Sacrificially, uh, because this verse talks about being a living sacrifice. And uh, I just want to start us off by asking a simple question. Uh, already off the bat, the term, you know, sacrificial living already seems as though it's for, uh, <laughs> for I don't know, special folks, the people that live sacrificially, the people that live above and beyond and lay their lives down like Jesus did. And, uh, and I, I, maybe, maybe you feel the same way I do, that sacrificial living has this, maybe it has a religiosity about it to you. 
maybe there's a, uh, maybe it makes you feel nervous to give of yourself. Maybe you've been taken advantage of in ways and, and that there's a, there's an apprehensiveness in your heart that wants to live a, a self in a way that's self-sacrificing. And so today we're going to, we're going to work through uh, these first two, these first two verses on why God would invite us to live a sacrificial life, how he makes a way for that, how it draws us closer, and what he really means by being a living sacrifice. So what's going to be fun about this, uh, about this series is we're going to kind of go through this, uh, the fancy word would be in an, in an expository way, and we're going to kind of be going line by line because it's six weeks, two chapters, um, and we have some time to really pause and, you know, circle and underline some words. And so maybe you've seen me do this before where um, we hope to be able to have the screen, the, the verse just on the screen the whole time so I can mark it up and you can kind of stare at the passage and we'll really uh, focus on the series of, of, of um, <laughs> what does this word mean? What does that word mean? And how's this con- sentence connected to that sentence? And um, firstly, because I think that's an enjoyable thing to do sometimes. Also, perhaps it will be helpful in your own Bible reading that uh, you'll kind of watch me work through a passage and, uh, or whoever's preaching and go, oh, okay, that's, that's, we're allowed to do that. And we're allowed to have these, we're allowed to, uh, I don't know, have this thought flow into the next thought. And this informs this. And perhaps that will be interesting to you to really study uh, the word in this time. So I'm looking forward to that too. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can have it open with us, or you can see it on the screen here too. And uh, we're going to be starting in Romans 12, starting in chapter 1. So, living sacrificially. Here we go. Uh, Let me just read verse 1 and then we'll we'll start to pull it apart. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So, where I want to start, we're going to kind of backtrack throughout verse 1, is we're going to look at this first. True and proper worship. So this is a good thing to understand, is what does it mean to truly and properly worship God? This is important, seeing as how he's God, and uh, seeing as how we want him to be king of our lives, we want him to rule our lives, we want him to be our life leader. Worship is a very important thing to do. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's good for us to worship our the ultimate authority in our lives. It's very, very appropriate. So if it's saying, this is your true and proper worship, well, what is the this talking about? Well, it ties right back to being a living sacrifice. That is the this in this sentence. We want to be a living sacrifice. So, uh, this is what this what what this what this tells me is that worship, true and proper worship, is sacrificial in nature. Worship has sacrifice built into it, and if we look at sort of the Old Testament and how uh, the Israelites would have conducted themselves and how they would worship, there was a whole lot of things that they would have to do to become ceremonially clean in order to enter the temple or the, or the courts or, 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 to, or to worship. And there, uh, often animals would have to be sacrificed to atone for the sins of the people. And it was this big deal where sacrifice is what allows worship to happen. Uh, we can't approach God without being first clean. We, we can't be in his presence. We can't enter his courts or enter the temple, so to speak, to use the old-fashioned sort of way, of way of saying it. Um, sins have to be atoned for. Sacrifices need to be made. And so here in this, in this verse, uh, Paul is, is 
speaking to the Jews in Rome, largely. And he's saying, we need to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And this is true and proper worship. So somehow, this is connecting the dots between what the Israelites would have had to do in a customary way with how we're supposed to live our lives. That there's something about sacrifice, even personally, uh, or, or maybe not personally, but there's something about sacrifice that's important to be able to truly and properly worship God. Okay, so that's how far we've got. Uh, in, uh, in, in 2 Samuel 24, 24, um, David, uh, I'll just paraphrase, but David said, um, I, I don't want any of my sacrifices not to cost me anything. He says, what's the point of a sacrifice if it doesn't cost me something? So this is interesting. Have you ever thought about this with your worship? That I mean, maybe I don't know if you thought about that a few minutes ago when we just uh, when we just sang to God. But I'm not sure if it, it didn't. I, don't, I doubt it would have crossed my mind to just go. Oh, this is um, this is a moment where I have I need to be come. I, I'm like holy and clean before God so that I can enter His presence. You know, sometimes I just feel like I'm standing in the living room singing some songs. And but the how profound it is to really be able to worship God. It's like, well. Who made a sacrifice? Did I make a sacrifice? Of course, this is all pointing to Jesus being the sacrifice, but it's an amazing thing to think that it's not possible to worship without sacrifices being made. So let's keep going. Uh, what is what is a, what does sacrifice mean to God? Well, it, it says right here, and it says holy and pleasing. So sacrifice is holy and pleasing. And what's, what's fun about this, uh, this sort of, uh, in the ESV, it says, uh, the ESV translation, it says acceptable to God. And in the NIV, they pull the word acceptable apart and they turn it into holy and pleasing. <laughs> so I don't know, whatever, whichever works best. But I like the fact that holy and pleasing are sort of pulled out in the NIV. And, it, and it's, you, can, you can draw the conclusion that holiness is pleasing to God. It's acceptable. It's all kind of, the, they're all synonyms for each other. And so holiness is is what pleases God. This is an important thing to know. Uh, why? Why is holiness pleasing to God? Holiness is a fancy word for just being set apart, for being different, for being other. So we say God is holy because he's just uh, holy other with a W. <laughs> I should have picked a different word. Uh, he's entirely other. Um, He's not like us, and he's holy and separate and different and perfect and pure and not like it's a, when the angels are singing holy, 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 they're just saying like other, different, <laughs> uh, alone, the name above all names, I am that I am, like just completely holy and, and entirely, well, you get the picture, perfect. Uh, so what then does holiness have to do with this passage? If he's saying, if Paul's saying we need to be a living sacrifice that's holy and pleasing, it's another way of saying we need to be set apart. Uh, we have to be a people that are set apart and different and made new by something. So Titus 2.14 really spells out the, the why of why holiness matters so much to God and why being set apart matters so much to God. This is Titus 2, 14. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. 
So the purpose of Jesus purifying us uh, and, and making us new and being that sacrifice for us is to, so that he can make us into a people that are his very own. So holiness isn't so much about, I want you to be clean and I don't like dirty things coming into my temple and worshiping me. It's not so much about that. It's, uh, I want you to be part of my kingdom and with me. Like I, I, God speaking, want you to be, to share in my communion. Like I'm going to be with me and know me like a father. And so if he's so holy, uh, if he's so holy and so other, and he wants to be in relationship with us, well, he's, he, he's built that, he built that bridge through Jesus to purify for himself a people that are his very own. So <laughs> this makes Jesus, um, uh, Jesus makes us holy by being that sacrifice. Jesus makes us holy by, by, by <laughs> paying for all the things that we should have paid for. And the reason and the reason why holiness is so important and, and holiness is so pleasing is that we now get to be in relationship. It, Jesus, we're reconciled to God through Jesus. This is God's motivation. So here's where things might get a little confusing, and this is where I had to kind of pause and go, okay. We're looking, we're looking here inside this verse, and it's saying, it's saying to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? Okay, hold on a second. Who's doing the sacrificing here? Is it is it me? Paul's saying, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. But we just unpacked how, well, we can't actually make ourselves holy. Jesus has to be the one that <laughs> pays for all the things that we should have uh, had to pay for ourselves so that we could be in communion with God, so that we can share in his holiness and, and being, being separate from the world with him. So who's doing the sacrificing? This, is, this, is, this has confused me for a while. And maybe you fall on one side or the other where uh, and maybe you flip-flop day to day where it's like, okay, uh, um, I should probably do something really sacrificial right now because I want to be closer to God and I'm going to, I don't know, do something difficult that I don't want to do and I'm going to sacrifice for Jesus and it's gonna, I'm going to grip my teeth and squint my eyes and do a hard thing. Uh, or there's another way of looking at it where it's we just kick back and relax and put our feet up and go, Jesus has made the sacrifice. He's paid for all the, he's paid for everything. He's purified me from all wickedness. There's nothing I can do to earn my salvation. How dare I ever think that my sacrifice would be the thing that reconciles me to God. It has to be Jesus' sacrifice. So you see how both of those feel strange. The, the religiosity of having to re-earn your salvation through your own sacrifices. Ooh, that's no good. Because uh, that would just be you earning your salvation. And then the other piece of going, well, maybe I don't have to sacrifice all that much because Jesus paid for it all. <laughs> it seems very entitled. And something is incomplete about that. Uh, what I feel like both of those things miss is the motivation that God seems to have for wanting, for wanting, this, for wanting us to worship him and wanting us to be holy. I think he's just trying to be close. Like God wants his people like in the, going back to the Old Testament analogy, he wants his people to be ceremonially clean and for the sacrifices to be made so that he can, so that his people can come closer to him, to worship him. That's his motivation for all this stuff. 
And when I think about the, when I start mincing words about who's making the sacrifice, it, it stops being about that. It stops being reconciliatory in nature. Like its intention stops being about being close. It starts being about, I don't know, earning something or, uh, or laziness, or it starts to become more about me. So it's an important thing to pause and go, okay, who's making this sacrifice and why? Is it both of us? If it's both of us, how does that work? All right, well, there's a very important line that I want to draw your attention to in this passage. Uh, and maybe I'll make it yellow because it's really important. And it says, in view of God's mercy. I know we're kind of going backwards here. But uh, so just, 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 follow, just follow me for a second. So true, true and proper worship. Uh, is is a is living sacrifice, uh, which is holy and pleasing. So holiness is pleasing to God. So something about worship requires a sacrifice to make us holy, and this is what's pleasing is to be to be in relationship with God. Uh, but the question becomes is who's making the sacrifice? And so what I love about this sentence, in view of God's mercy, is that our sacrifice becomes in response to his. So what, what this is, what in view of God's mercy is, is, is referring to is God's mercy is Jesus. So let's just be very clear about that. In view of Jesus. In view of Jesus, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So Jesus has already done it in this passage. Where we've seen it, we've witnessed it, we know that it's true, and we've watched, uh, uh, in, like Titus says, we've watched Jesus give himself out of mercy for us in order to purify us to become a people for his very own. We've just witnessed that. Now, in view of it, we're invited to become a living sacrifice, and I love the term living sacrifice. Because, uh, you know, it's important that this was word a living sacrifice. It's like, well, yeah, at least we get to live. You know, like we get to be resurrected with Christ. But it's, we're still invited to sacrifice. Uh, so how does this work? How does this work? First um, John 4.19, maybe you know this. Maybe you know this. It's a, it's, a, it's a very famous verse, maybe because it's short and a lot of people memorize it. But First John 4.19, it says, We love because he first loved us. This is a very important theological truth. And you can see here how another way of saying it, maybe phrasing it this way, is we love because we have viewed God's love. Uh, we're merciful because we view, we've viewed God's mercy. We've seen it. We've seen God's love. Therefore, we can go love now. Uh, now, the thing about this is that if the, if, the, if the goal of all of this is to have a love-based relationship with God and to be close with Him and to be in relationship, then I think we know intuitively that love is sacrificial. We know that love always requires some kind of sacrifice. It's, um, it's by definition a giving of oneself. Sometimes that's easier than other times. But love is, you know, just by definition would be the, consider, the considering of another over yourself. And that can often be extremely sacrificial. So it makes sense that if we want to have a love-based relationship with God, that's giving and receiving, that's, that's a real relationship, not transactional with a being that saves you, uh, not, not, not anything less than intimacy, which just sounds like what God wants. He wants us to be holy with him. 
um, if it's if it's really true that love uh, is, is is God's intention, then it would make sense that if He's sacrificing for us, and and part of love is sacrifice, there would be some sacrifice on our part to reciprocate that love. But this is why First John four nineteen and the sentence in view of God's mercy is so important because it is. It is very important to know who initiated this. And we, we are loving in response to, to, to the love that we've been extended. And now it's very natural to respond in kind. And that responding in kind is not earning anything. Like if you've been loved 100% and there's nothing left to be known or earned, then your reciprocation, 100%, with all of yourself, can't earn anything because there's nothing left to earn. And this is a very important theological principle because people freak out when you start talking about earning your salvation, and rightly so. And they go, well, I need to... um, Sacrifice is bizarre, and I would never want to earn something, and does God want me to sacrifice? Like, sacrifice is hard. uh, Am I not enough? And um, I thought he just loved me for who I was. And it's kind of missing the heart of God in that I feel like he's saying, I've purified you 100%. Now, in view of that, what would it look like to respond to me out of the same love that I've extended you? Now we get to have a relationship. Don't get me wrong. I've done everything. There's nothing left for you to earn. But it would be really beautiful if you loved me the same way that I've loved you. Of course, you're less powerful. It's going to be a little less dramatic. And uh, I for sure initiated the whole thing. But why would I want any less of your heart? I've given you all of my heart. Why wouldn't you give me all of yours? And there's a big difference between giving your whole heart to someone and trying to earn something. There's a big difference. So, uh, sacrificial love is the completion of a relationship. It's not religion. Uh, it would be religion if there was still something left to earn. But remember, God, Jesus purified us. So sacrifice now, in view of God's mercy, becomes the completion of a relationship. And we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice because we want to be faithful to God. I, I like the sentence, offer your bodies. It has a very intimate sort of language. Like it's, it's, it's um, the most beautiful metaphor for Christ and, and us as humanity being the church is that it's a bride and groom. Like there, there's, a, there's a faithfulness language being talked about here. And this is the relationship God is trying to initiate with us. So sacrifice then becomes the completion and fulfillment of a life-giving relationship, not the execution of a religion. So let's keep going on to verse 2 because it, uh, it's important that we... Um, This thought flows, verse 2 flows out of verse 1, obviously. So, uh, starting in verse 2, it says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world. The whole thing is going to be underlined by the time we're done, but that's okay. It's only two verses. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. The important thing to note here is that conform, uh, the term con, uh, just means same. Just means, so another way of saying it would be same form. So do not conform to the patterns of this world. So flowing out of verse 1, where it's talking about holiness and proper worship, and then Paul goes, uh, don't conform to the patterns of this world. And it would be logical to think that conforming to the patterns of this world would be the opposite of holiness. If one thought flows into the next. Let's be holy. 
Let's be holy. Let's, let's offer our bodies as a living sacrifice that's holy and pleasing to God. And don't conform to the patterns of this world. Um, so conforming to the world is the opposite of holiness, which makes sense because holiness, remember, uh, means set apart. So conformity, the same form, is the opposite of holiness, which is set apart, not the same, different. So conforming to the world is the opposite of holiness. So what does conforming to the world mean? What is the pattern of this world? And we've talked about this a lot uh, uh, in our church, but the opposite of love and the opposite of holiness uh, would be selfishness. The pattern of this world is self. And gravity <laughs> pulls us towards self. Gravity pulls us towards idolizing ourselves and having ourselves be our own God. And, and gravity pulls us towards controlling our lives. And gravity pulls us away from relationship. It pulls us towards self, unfortunately. That's what, that's what, um, that's what the flesh means, is we're thinking about our own flesh and what we want. So we need to be made new here. We have to be totally made new. And there's something about what Jesus has done that makes us holy, that transforms us. So we keep going here, but don't conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this is the, this is, this is where the, this is the important part is that uh, my heart is selfish and I need a new one. And I can't make myself holy. And if left to my own devices, I will conform to the patterns of this world. I often still do. But we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So if we're, if we're, if we're having these verses flow together, and the pivoting statement is right here, is in view of God's mercy. This is very, very important. In view of God's mercy. Uh, the mercy that God extended us that then we reciprocate, like then we reciprocate back to him, the love that we reciprocate when we've seen it, it transforms the way that we think. When we truly view mercy, uh, when we're truly aware of how much we need mercy, when there's a conviction of sin that's, that's on our hearts going, I will conform to the patterns of this world. I'm part of this world, actually. I was born into sin. When the weight of that rests on our hearts and then we see the mercy we've been extended, not just see it, but understand it, it transforms our whole, the whole way we think. And, and, and wouldn't it, like, wouldn't the gripping nature of the mercy you and I have been truly extended, wouldn't it transform everything about you if we, if we really understood it? And sometimes, some days I feel like I understand it and some days I feel like I don't. Uh, I know that it's a mixed bag. But when I stop and pause and I view God's mercy, the most natural inclination in my heart is to go, what can I do to be close to you? How can I be motivated by the same things you've been motivated by? How My mind shifts from self to love. Not because of anything I've done, but because I'm gripped by the reality of the gospel and the mercy that I've been shown. So mercy transforms the way that we think. Uh, I, I really do think this, that the patterns of this world 
and the the selfishness that plagues us, the antidote to it is being extended mercy by God. But when I hear that, I go, there's one way to hear that, of going the kind of gee thanks version of it. Like, oh, wow, I've been extended mercy. Awesome. That's nice. Uh, I'm so glad somebody did that for me. (laughs) And uh, sometimes that's the way that I can feel. But truly, truly viewing God's mercy, um, uh, knowing that, seeing that, grasping with it, um, uh, brings a conviction against self that I think nothing else can. And it, and it changes our whole motivation. When, uh, when you've been loved and when you've been extended mercy and you know that you were wrong, it really changes the way that you think. And it changes your behavior. I don't know about you. Have you ever been deeply convicted of something? Have you ever gone, wow, I know that was wrong and then I was shown mercy and I shouldn't have been? Maybe you have an example of this in your life. Um, It becomes extremely difficult to repeat those behaviors when conviction is brought. When when relationship was severed by your sin. Maybe you have a palpable example of that. Uh, That, whatever your example is, is infinitely more true with God. The kind of relationship that he wants is the best kind. And it's the kind you were designed to know, actually. And... uh, Wow, it's important to view God's mercy in the and to be aware of how much we need it in its extremity. And this transforms and renews our minds, transforms the way that we think. So what's the result of having, of having a gripping transformation by the mercy we've been extended? What's the result? Well, it's pretty fun. Uh, then, you know, then, like if, if this is all true, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, uh, a conviction of sin, an awareness of the mercy we've been extended, a reciprocation of that in kind, in a sacrificial way, um, (laughs) leads us to be able to understand what God's will is for our lives and for the world. And by extension, I'll tell you you what I think it is. Uh, maybe Maybe you've been like me where it becomes very difficult to discern God's will. What is God's will? And you kind of, you know, lick your finger and hold it up and try to wonder what God's up to today. Uh, what, what am I here for? What am I doing? Uh, is this all worth it? Is there a purpose to it all? <laughs> God's will is that the mercy that you and I have been shown and realized and internalized and been changed by would be known by everybody else. He wants his will as to have mercy. His will is to have mercy on the whole world. That's his will. So if we don't understand that mercy, uh, it's very hard to figure out what God's up to in a given moment. What is he doing? Where is he going? What is he up to? Um, and if the mercy we've been shown doesn't grip our hearts and, and we don't have an awareness of that and our minds haven't been transformed by it, then kind of what he's up to always seems suspect to us. And it gets confusing. And, well, I thought you would have done that here. And you've been a little quiet over here. And I wish, you, I wish you'd tell me what to do over here. Uh, he's told us what to do. He has told us what to do. And he has asked us to show mercy to others 
in the same way that we've been shown mercy. Uh, this is uh, this is First John four eleven. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is His will. His will is that He would transform the whole world by His love through His church. That's what's always going on, and you and I are on the front lines of that. Now, do you see how I like how Paul says? Then you'll be able to know what God's will is. But first, um, salvation and how it works has to be part of what you do and it has to be normal to you. Is living sacrificially normal to you? Is extending the same mercy that you, is, is, is receiving mercy and then um, extending it outwards, is that normal to you? Well, Paul's saying that that's the most normal thing you could do. If you knew how saved you were, if you knew how much mercy you've been shown, the most normal thing you could possibly do would be to extend it to others. What do you have left to earn? What do you have left to prove? The God of the universe loves you and died for you. Why? What, what else could there possibly be to do? What could else could there possibly be to say or to strive for? You've been reconciled to the creator of the universe forever. This is the message we carry. God is merciful and he's had mercy on us through Jesus. And I wander around wondering, I wonder what God's doing today. and I wonder how I'm going to be fulfilled in, in that. And I wonder how I'm going to play a part in it because I feel a little unimportant today. And <laughs> I don't know. Um, since God loved me, I get to love others. I know that's a little simplistic. I know it reduces things. I know that I'm removing a lot of complexity. Uh, but God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. What do you think that is? His good, pleasing, and perfect will. He wants to be with his children. He wants to know you closely. He wants to know every single person you know closely. And he wants to spend eternity with them. That is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And Jesus made a way for that. And He, you and I have witnessed that. And we've seen it. And we've viewed it. And we know it. And, we, and then we get to live in the same way that Jesus died for us. We get to live in that same manner. Because everything's been paid for 100% already. What an amazing system that God has built. So, in conclusion, it is normal in the kingdom of God to extend mercy. It is normal in the kingdom to extend the same mercy to those around us. And we get to be witnesses and examples of how changed we've been and how transformed our minds have been by what we've seen. And then we get to live that out and we get to represent Christ to this world and we get to make introductions and we get to say, oh, no, 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 it's not me extending you mercy. It's him because I'm forgiven and it's my privilege to give you a taste of that. <laughs> it's my privilege to love you sacrificially and to love him sacrificially because you have no idea how little I deserve it and you have no idea how grateful I am. That's a transformed heart. That's a transformed mind. That's a transformed motivation towards love. Oh, it's being saved. It's beautiful. So I just want to end with this verse, Matthew 10, 8. Freely you have received, freely give. This is my prayer for each one of us is that we would receive freely and then we would see it and view it and freely give that away by being living sacrifices 
being holy and pleasing to God. Jesus, thank you for what you've done and how you made the way. Thank you for... Thank you that we just get to live in response to you. So Father, I pray that right now your Holy Spirit would become tangible uh, in our lives. <laughs> and we pray that we'd seek you and we'd find you in this moment and go, oh, would you remind us of our salvation? Would you remind us of the mercy we've been shown? Thank you for the chance to go through your word and just pick it apart. And it's so beautiful and it's so perfect. And it's exactly what we need to hear. So Father, if there's conviction that needs to rest on our hearts so that we can fully understand your mercy, I pray that that would be true. Uh, uh, but more than anything, I pray that conviction would always bring what it's supposed to bring. And that is just a, an overwhelming sense of your love and how much you love us and how your mercy was driven out of a love for us. God, thank you for wanting to be close. Thank you for wanting to know me. And I pray that you would make me, make us, the kinds of people who would be living sacrifices for you. Pray that we'd please you with our lives, not because we have to earn something, but because it's just an example. And a, it's, a, it's indicative of my awareness of what's been done for me by you. And I, that's what we want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.